Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I don't think you can be a good designer unless you really care about people and how they live. From a very young age, Michael Kors knew exactly what he was meant to do, fashion. At the age of five, his mother allowed him to redesign her wedding dress when she got remarried. At the age of 11, Michael opened a boutique in his mother's basement. Known for his classic but modern design, some of the biggest names in Hollywood and even former First Lady Michelle Obama have worn Michael's clothing. Throughout his career, Michael has been a fierce advocate for feeding those suffering from hunger. Michael launched his first fashion line in 1981 at the age of 21. In 2011, when his company went public, it was the biggest U.S. fashion IPO business in history. And just last year, Michael celebrated his 40th year in business, a true milestone. Michael, it is very great to see you, and welcome to my podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Always great to see you. It is so fun, and I i mean, we saw each other last night, too, exactly. at the CFDA I feel Awards. like we're dating. Oh, wow. We're dating. I like that. Wow. Um, well, you grew up surrounded by fashion, and how did your family nurture your interests? Funny enough, I think, you know, I'm an only child. And I grew a spoiled up spoiled only child. Indulged. Let's say indulged. <laughs> okay. Let's not say spoiled. Let's go with indulged. But no, I think um, I think when I was really when I was young, they kind of brought me along on the adult conversations. And so many people in my family were connected to fashion. My mom was modeling. 
My grandfather was in the textile business. Um, I had an uncle who was a manufacturer. So it was sort of this, I don't know, it was conversation at the table, you know, and they talked endlessly about why was this good and that wasn't good. And So you had quality. a really good uh, introduction to fashion and an education right at home. Early, right at home. Which is so lovely. Well, you redesigned your mom's dress when you were five years old. What did it look like? Well, it's interesting. My mom, uh, the first marriage, she did not have a big wedding. And then the second wedding was coming along. And I think my grandmother wanted a big wedding. Uh-huh. And so my mom's dress, you know, was the 60s. So it was, the silhouette was uh, on pier and very streamlined. But the dress was covered with zillions of bows. It had bows, 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 and more bows. I bet so, that was pretty. Yeah, it was a bit... Overdone? F- yeah, a little overdone. And I think what happened, I think that she was on her final fitting, and it was myself and my grandmother and my mom. She tried the dress on, and my grandmother said, it's perfect. My mom looked in the mirror, and she looked at me, and I said, mm. And she said, what are you, wh- wh- why are you making a face? And I said, too many bows. So the next thing you knew, the tailor came in. They started snipping off the bows, and we ended up with one bow. How great. And you you made up your mind that that's what happened to be. I knew when I looked at it, it just it needed an edit. Well, at 11, you opened your first boutique in your home. What did you sell in that boutique? Well, first off, the name of the boutique was everything. It was called the Inagata de Vida. Inagata de Vida, which was this rock and roll song at the time. And I think I wanted it to be very sort of Woodstock hippie. Um, and I was very crafty. Of course, I'm sitting here talking to you about this. So I had candles that I had made, leather craft that I had done, copper bracelets. I had a girl who was crocheting snoods. Um, we had all of these things. And I said to my mom, I said, I'm just doing this. She said, as long as they don't come through the house and they just go to the basement, great. And we sold everything in like two days. I bet. It was a big success. I bet. People love the handcrafted, the original. And the one of a kind. And the one of a kind. The one of a kind was really, and I learned that at that age. Well, how did the boutique influence the beginning of the Michael Kors brand? I mean, you learned it. You must have learned it right there. You You got the bug. I think, you know, for me, it... It, it's always going to be the sort of, I, I say it's the magic of the tissue rustling. It's the magic of when you put the right thing on and you look in the mirror. And at that age, I had already seen my mom and my grandmother and all of my aunts. I had this like cast of characters, all these women who I saw the power of fashion uh, and the power of shopping. Well, what did you like? What what got you about fashion? I mean, was it Was it making pretty things? Was it style? What was it? You know, I, in my whole life, this is terrible to say, I've always kind of done this sort of makeover show in my mind. With strangers, with everyone, I look and I'm like, maybe if she just oh. shortened that skirt a little, maybe if the hair was this, maybe. So I think I'm always thinking about how do you kind of take what someone is about and make them a better version of themselves. That's nice. You know, That's that nice. I, 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 I never love this sort of weird Cinderella, you know, total... Uh, from rags to from beauty. From rags to right. beauty. I, just, I think it's just be yourself, but be better. Yeah. 
Well, I think you're I think you're right about that. I mean, I have so many friends who I know I could restyle. I mean, I should restyle myself too. <laughs> yes. I should restyle myself because I mean, I'm boring. I mean, I don't. Everyone's like Michael oh. Kors has stayed looking the same ever since I met him. He wears these dark aviator glasses. He wears navy blue or black. That's sort of well, right today it's cashmere yeah. crew neck sweaters. That's it. And, T-shirts and, and jeans and black sneakers and a big heavy gold Rolex. And, and I'm it. good. I can go anywhere. Yeah, you can. I can go anywhere. You can go that anywhere. That works for me. Yeah. But, um, but it's funny. I mean, the, oftentimes the designer is the least designed of the, of the people he uh, dresses. Well, I have to. Or she dresses. I have to say, though, when I was young, I mean, growing up, I mean, as a kid, as a teenager, I was trendy. Oh, you were? I wore it all. What was the fav- what was your favorite outfit? Oh god, I think probably the craziest thing. I at Studio 54, I wore harem pants with a huge belt on my hips, boots, leg warmers, and big Porsche sunglasses. Oh boy, oh boy. I was 18 years old. What and did I you wear was, as a shirt? Oh, I think I had a like a linen wrap shirt that had no buttons. I weighed probably 130 pounds then, so I thought that was pretty good. You for looked the time. pretty cool. Yeah. I only went to Studio 54, I think, twice in my life. What a, what a, I missed the whole life thing. Life-changing, life-changing. But I missed it, I missed it. Oh, it was. I mean, I, I remember the little scenarios I saw as I was walking. <laughs> I went that night where they had the Walls of Ice. Uh-huh, What of was course. that, what was that celebrating that night? I remember what those parties, there were oh, so many amazing crazy. parties. And there was smoking going on upstairs and snorting. And, oh, it was. And it was a wild Do you know place. that I went, the first time I went, do you know what I, why I went? Why? Instead of going to my high school prom, we went to Studio 54. Oh, you did. Well, that was fun. It was truly. High school proms are really. Why yucky. do I want to go to the prom? It was right. like going to Oz. <laughs> Isn't it better? You know, why not? So, um, so you dressed, you dressed cool. Yes. You dress trendy. And then I think when I went into business, I was just, I realized that I was, first off, super busy and traveling like crazy. And I was spending all my time thinking about what everyone else should wear. So I just wanted to simplify the process for myself. Um, but I think back in the 80s, I wore a button-down shirt every day mm-hmm. um, with a blazer and aviators. So you did. Oh, my so gosh. So I had like I've, a 15-year I- run of that. And then I switched. Well, what designers did you follow when you were growing up and developing your own personal style? Well, I think, you know, coming of age, uh, the American designers were, of course, a big influence, whether it was Halston, Norell, um, Stephen Burroughs. But then Saint Laurent was just, you know, I mean, truly changed how everyone looked. So for me, I remember there was a W magazine cover that said plain and fancy, and they had Saint Laurent and Halston, and I thought the two of them just summed it all up. Oh, and and indeed they did at that time. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, quite a quite a duo, and uh, I mean, really potent. The 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 and they also led, they, they led the way for you and other people of your generation to become the greatest designers for Americans. Well, and now of course I think you know what we perceived of as American. Um, the world really lives uh, with sportswear and with the idea of comfort and Mm -hmm. and fast and mobile. And, you know, we used to have the fantasy that people in Paris were very formal. And, well, now, of course, walk around Paris and, you know, people are casual and on the go. 
And I hope a lot of you get to go to Paris now that travel restrictions are lifted and traveling is becoming more popular. I just heard that American Express is doing much, much better because of travel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Isn't that nice? Well, at what age did you go to FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology? I moved uh, into Manhattan when I was, we're, we're suburban kids, two of us. Where'd you grow up? Which Long town? Island. In Long Island. Long Island, yep. And I moved in when I was uh, 18. Um, I went to the Fashion Institute. And, you know, immediately I was surrounded by people who were as obsessed with fashion as I was. Which was incredible. And did you study drawing or, or actual um, no, cutting? I was No, I actually, um, I signed up for, uh, for fashion design. Um, I was the worst sewer in the world, but a very proficient sketcher. Um, so I was very, very unbalanced as a student. I ended up, I didn't stay in school that long. Um, because I started working. I see. You, so worked, I, you worked for a boutique or? Yeah, I worked for, I worked for a store um, right off Fifth Avenue uh, and 57th Street, across from Bergdorf Goodman, called Lothar's. And it was a French company. Um, they were sort of this tie-dyed, Saint-Tropez, Bridget Bardot on the back of a Vespa kind of look. And I started working there as a salesperson in school and then the next thing I knew, I was offered the opportunity to design product for the store. Oh, I was great. 19. Oh, great. Man. And, you know, we had unbelievable customers, Martha. We, I learned everything from the people who shopped in the store. And I think we were kind of the gap for the uber rich. But you did all that high style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. What would you consider... I mean, you, you, so you you were you've always been working. I li- I like that about you. My you, whole life. Yeah, we 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 like that. We like uh, energetic and hardworking and entrepreneurial people. This is this and is the two us. of us for that's sure. That's us. Uh, what would you consider your first big break in the fashion world? Well, I think certainly for me to launch my collection at Bergdorf Goodman, see the windows go in on Fifth Avenue. What I, year was that? Nineteen eighty one. Oh wow! You know, I was, I was. It seems like yesterday for me. It, I, well, I can't decide if it feels partially. It feels like yesterday, and part, part time. I, I think to myself, that's eons ago. I know, but, but it's, it's eons in in certain respects. But really, I mean, I mean, Microsoft hadn't even started. Then. No, of course, no. <laughs> I mean, the world Google hadn't started no, yet. No, I mean, you it imagine? was. You know, it's so. I mean, the windows at Bergdorf's being at Bergdorf's. In fact, the first thing that was written about me um, was written by Anna Wintour. Anna Wintour was working at New York Magazine, and she picked me as her fall fashion pick. Oh, wow. So a lucky, lucky break. So I had Bergdorf's, still close friends. Still close friends. Bergdorf's and Anna was a good way to start. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags, and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts well you launched your first fashion line at the age of 21 looking back what advice would you give that young man today what did you do Did you do anything wrong, or do you think everything was just hunky-dory? Well, I think because we weren't dealing with social media and we didn't have the sort of rapid 
kind of crush and rush that we have today. Um, but I was always in a rush. I was always, you know, a little impatient. And you knew how to promote. Oh, I, I, and I knew yeah. how to get See, out there. And- that's what I think Michael and I have in, in common. We know we knew instinctively how to promote our good ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, you know, listen, I was impatient. You know, I, I couldn't understand three years in why I wasn't a household name. You know, I mean, that, only three. <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah, exactly. Two, maybe, Martha. You know, but funny enough, I waited for three years to have an actual fashion show. So what was in that first fashion show? Can you remember all the different styles? Like what? Well, the coolest thing in that first fashion show, um, Iman. uh, Is she your model? She was in the show. And we are still close friends all these years later. And she wore this beautiful chocolate brown leather pullover, gray cashmere flannel trousers, Mm -hmm. and this gorgeous black silk shirt. Sounds perfect for today. And you'd, you'd... Absolutely put it on today. And the funny thing is, when I opened my first store on Madison Avenue, you were at the store opening wearing a leather shirt. You had a leather shirt on. With a lot of pearls. Yes. Oh, I remember. And you you told me, uh, you commented on my pearls. You liked them. I love the leather and the pearls. And I think so much of what I showed in that first show, maybe with a change in shoulder pads, because back in the 80s, we had those enormous pads. Oh, you know, I sort of liked shoulder pads. Even though I have big shoulders, I I, I liked that I liked them until look. they get, you know, half. Oh, half. they got too big. Yeah, you look a half back. It's yeah. not too great. But in 1998, um, the movies found you. You, yeah. you designed uh, the Thomas Crown Affair clothing for Rene Russo, who mm-hmm. was, like, she was one of my idols. She was so beautiful mm. in that movie. Like, real hot stuff. Um, what did you design for her? Well, what was interesting, when I was growing up, uh, one of my favorite fashion movies was The Thomas Crown Affair. The original was Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway, and yeah. the clothes and the sets and the everything, all the locations were amazing. And I knew Renee, and she had never done a film where the character was meant to be glamorous. And she called and she said, I'm doing The Thomas Crown Affair. And she said, and we've got to... Look sophisticated, sleek, sexy, glamorous all at once. So between Michael Kors and at the time I was designing Celine in Paris, so she... Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. You were so, doing Celine. So we were doing both. Oh, and some of my favorite clothes. Yeah, I mean, they were really beautiful, timeless, luxurious pieces. And Renee ended up, uh, I would say probably about 85% of the wardrobe uh, in the film was from, you know, between Michael Kors and Celine. And after the movie opened, I think it was really the first movie where you saw adults being sexy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I and women cut. Who was their the male hand. lead? It was it was Pierce Brosnan. That's right, Pierce. Brosnan. It was Pierce. That's right. I oh. mean, they were quite a yeah. remarkable couple. Yeah. Well, in, over the years, you have certainly had the opportunity to dress many celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to ask you who stands out, but you must have some favorites. Well, I have to say the most fun moment always for me is the Met Ball because it's not the typical red carpet. You know, you can break all the rules. So we've, you know, we've done everyone from Gigi Hadid to J-Lo, from Regina King to Kerry Washington. And you always can kind of really bring out the drama but still be true to yourself as a designer. But it's gotten, it's gotten wilder. Oh, well, the first time I, you know, listen, I went years ago and 
I think, you know, people wore a, a simple dress and off you went. Yeah, I went two or three times early on, and it was, like, very staid. Yeah. And then it started to get wilder, and then it started to get really expensive. And, and, oh, it got and super Anna expensive. And then Winter clamped down on who came and who didn't come. And then the clothes, though, got yeah. really amped up. It was yeah. fun, I have to say. The uh, Gigi Hadid, it, the theme that year was camp. And so <laughs> Bette Midler came, and of course, Bette said to me, she said, I, she said, if you want to talk about camp, let's go for it. But with both of them that year, that theme really allowed, I think, myself and all of the designers to just really have fun. But you like Halloween, too. Didn't you do Halloween? Oh, I love with, Halloween. With Bette, with Bette, Bette Midler, every year, um, listeners, uh, has a Halloween party called Huluween. And... Uh, and uh, you used to judge. You, I still do. Oh, you still are. The I still judge. do. Oh, no, it's a riot. I won for my surfboard uh, outfit one <laughs> one year. I was I went as a surfer. Well, it's I, Halloween. I know, and I a uh, surfer girl, and I wore a uh, very hot surfer suit, a full suit, body suit, oh, God. and I was dragging a tw- like a twelve foot surfboard with me, and no cat taxi would pick me up, and it was <laughs> I had to walk like thirty blocks to the Waldorf Astoria in your, in your surf look. in my surf look, and I was I was dripping wet when I got there, but it was it's always such well, a funny it's fun evening. and yeah. it, and and also the organization. New York yeah. Restoration Project. That's the organization that Beth started that plants trees throughout the five boroughs. Yeah, and gardens, incredible community yes. gardens. Amazing. I mean, yeah. Greening New York. And uh, and then then you're you're designing you're designing all these incredible clothes. I remember I was looking in my closet. I have a closet in the attic where I keep all my old clothes, and looking for my Michael Kors clothing. Um, and um, clothing changed very not too much. Um, but the, from the broad shoulders and the suits, then we got into more dresses, then we mm-hmm. got into more pants, and then more sportswear. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you joined a, a show, a very popular show on TV called Project Runway, and that was in 2000, I think, in four. Oh, four. Oh, four. Now, do you think TV really made a big difference in your career? Well, I think the funny thing now, in retrospect, at the time when I first did the show— I, I, when I heard reality television, I, all I knew was Survivor. I thought oh, the designers <laughs> are going to have to eat bugs or worms or, you know. But then what we saw that what I thought was so interesting and people fell in love with was they saw the alchemy of you start with nothing, an idea, and suddenly you have something. And as far as me and how people reacted to Michael Kors, I think they got to know me. Yeah, they did. I think they really had this sort of personal And they connection. loved your advice to yeah. the contestants because yeah. really that that really shows that you're a good teacher in addition to being a fantastic designer. Being able to teach that craft is is hard. And they also got to see my humor. Yes. Yes, I certainly I certainly could, you know, have a zinger in there. Yeah. And uh so I think it's funny. I think the what's wonderful about something like Project Runway it lets people know how much hard work goes into all of the things that we wear and we love to wear. What is today's trend? Is there a trend? I mean, fashion is always, they're always talking about fashion <sighs> trends. Well, we, we ride a roller say? coaster. You know, we really do. We ride this roller coaster. So, of course, you know, during uh, the height of the pandemic, you know, my gosh, people were just like, you know, in the house, on Zoom, and everyone was in shower slides and sweatpants and track pants. 
And then suddenly the burst of, oh, I'm going back to work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to a party. I can now wear a pair of shoes. I can wear real shoes, <laughs> not just shower slides. <laughs> um, we definitely, um, I think we're certainly seeing people want to get dressed up, um, whether it's even just to have lunch with a friend or go back to the office. But the thing that I think is interesting to see is a new younger generation loving beautiful tailored clothes again an impeccable coat, an impeccable jacket. Um, Because for a long time, we had this idea of disposable fast fashion, which to me is just the worst thing you can do if you're trying to think sustainably. I had a tag sale recently. And uh, I had had gone through my clothes. And with a TV career, you do collect a lot of clothing because Mm -hmm. you have to look different every day. And I don't like like having too many clothes because I don't like to waste. But I put all my very good things in a couple tubs, beautiful silk shirts, Italian, French, uh, American, and uh, all my designer kind of clothing, the Michael Kors and the Ralphs and the other things and other tubs. And I put those in a, in a house. I did not want to sell those at my tag sale. I put a lot of the more disposable stuff in right. other tubs. Well, somehow the tubs all got mixed up. Oh, gosh. But I tell you, guess what went first? All the really beautiful designer clothing. My assistants who work for me, people who work in the company. Everyone. And I see them now wearing these gorgeous, gorgeous. And isn't it wonderful to it see? Is. They look so good in it. Well, and also you know? it's, it's you know, you see the difference of something that's beautifully made, um, that that's tailored properly. But I think people instinctively know when it's beautifully made, too. Oh, yeah. And they want it. But they can't afford it sometimes. Well, now, of course, the you know what you what you did, of course, uh, to be able to regenerate mm-hmm. um, things that might be in your closet and regenerate and find something new and move on and, and recirculate. It's the greatest thing. So you you would characterize today's perfect outfit as more tailored. I think it's just the addition of the tailored piece. I don't know if it's going to be the '80s back to head to toe tailoring. Because we've had the comfort thing. So yeah. I think now it's maybe this blend, this hybrid, that you wear an impeccably tailored jacket, maybe over the casual things you have in your closet, or instead of putting on a down jacket, put on a remarkable coat. So when did you go public? When, what year was that when you... Everything happened. Every, everything happened. Let's see. Uh Public was 2011. Now, this is after your fashion is everywhere. Did you already have your own stores? or We had, we had opened many stores mm-hmm. at that point, and we started expanding around the world. And, and, we you, started, had, and you had handbags. We had yeah. bags. We had footwear. Shoes, yes. Um, eyeglasses, uh, fragrances, uh, women's and men's clothing. Um, and we really, though, I have to say, Martha, we started seeing... That this sort of idea that, oh, it's American fashion, that kind of all the borders disappeared. Mm -hmm. And we saw that suddenly, you know, someone in Jakarta fell in love with the same piece as someone in Chicago. Um, so that was really the the light bulb went. Did you go public before Ralph Lauren went public? No, it was after. after. It was after. And Donna Karen? Uh Donna at that point, Donna Karen was probably with LVMH. But she had gone public. Before, yes, she before, did. Before, and then she went private. Yeah. Who do you uh, consider all your contemporaries? Well, it's fa- American we, fashion. We, we kind of like, you know, it's funny. When I was at Celine, my first season at Celine was Marc Jacobs' first season 
at Louis Vuitton. Oh, wow. We went the same season, <laughs> and we've kind of uh, grown up together. And then, you know, Tom Ford and I are uh, sort of, again, the same thing, the Americans who were in Europe. Um, so you see that. And I uh, don't know if I have any Michael Kors Celine, but I do have Tom Ford tuxedos from... The from, original Gucci. I do. I loved those so much. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to get thin enough to wear those now. <laughs> <laughs> the famous red velvet one. Oh, I know. I don't have the red, don't velvet. Have the red no, velvet. No, I have one? the black velvet with the satin lapels. Gorgeous. And, uh, it's so, such great clothing. What's <laughs> funny? You asked before about why did designers? Why would we wear a uniform? We were in Italy uh, last summer, and I ran into Stefano Gabbana, and the two of us had literally the exact same glasses. T-shirt, jeans, everything. I said, we both got the memo, right? Oh, gosh. You know? Yeah. And I guess most of us, you know, uh, most of us try to find a way to make it easier. Your uniform. Exactly. Your uniform. So um, uh, if somebody comes to visit you now, um, what would you be impressed by? And someone looking for a job with Michael Kors as a, as a designer, what would you, what would impress you? Well, I think, first off, of course, their talent. Um, but also an understanding and an empathy for people. You know, I don't think you can be a good designer unless you really care about people and how they live. So when I'm talking to someone who's going to join us, I want to hear, you know, what kind of person do you imagine? Who are you thinking about? Um, because if someone just says, oh, an imaginary person, well, somehow to me that doesn't make sense. In 2021, which was just last year, you celebrated your 40th anniversary in business. Mm. I celebrated my 30th in magazine world. Isn't that weird? 30 and 40, yeah. the both of us. So yeah. you were... You I were, started my magazine 30 years wow. before, and so, you started yours 40 And I did my 40, 40. yes. 40 was quite how did a you, number. How did you celebrate? Well, of course, we were at the height of the pandemic, right. so we could not have a party, we could not ha even have a live fashion show. And I have always been a huge theater fan. And I always had this fantasy, wouldn't it be amazing to have a fashion show in the theater district in Times Square? Oh, how great. But of course, normally you could never do that. And I, I was heartbroken to see the theater shut down and, and to see not just the actors, but just all the talent, you know? So we decided that we were going to film uh, a fashion show on the streets of Times Square and with this huge range of models. I mean, Naomi Campbell closed the show. She's the only model who's been in a Michael Kors show in every decade of my career. Wow, how great. So it was wonderful. And Helena Christensen and people who, who, who've been such a part of my career. And then also we, uh, we, we were also um, giving back to the Actors Fund. Because just what was going on? Oh, was helping just, support the poor actors who oh, were out of work. Everyone for so out of long. work. All the uh -huh. all the people who worked in the theaters. So for me to see the theater come back to life. But you're a big theater goer. Oh, yes. I mean, we 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 also um, like to get involved in producing theater. I think there's just something about live performance. We did Network, uh, oh. and we did the Lehman Trilogy, and uh, both That's of them. Amazing. Oh, they were both. We were involved with both, and. Uh, you know, storytelling live is just, it's magic. Yeah. Did you ever act? 
when I was, I went to acting school. Oh, you did? I, I went to acting that. school. Oh. I did. I went to acting school. Before FIT? Uh, when I was a young teenager. Um, and I modeled when I was little, when my mom was modeling, and then she retired me. Um, and then the acting thing was just, I realized I'd rather be in the audience. Well, who are your mentors? Who, who do, as, a, as designers, who are your favorite, favorite designers? I mean, for me, I, I, I always will have to go back to the designers who changed the way people live on a regular basis. So I go back to Saint Laurent. I go to Halston. I go to Chanel. Um, she changed the way women look and live. Claire McCardle, remarkable. Um, Stephen Burroughs, you can move and dance all night long. Um, all of those designers. Azadine Alaya, when you think about the clothes he made back in the 80s. Gosh, those bodies. You have to have those bodies. No, but he, you know what's interesting? I mean, he really, when you think about it, he really changed the fact that you could put something on and it was stretchy and... You oh no! I I had some really good. They were hot. They were hot. Those clothes, and they still are. They, they are, still are. They are. My, they stand my the daughter test of time. loved Azadine. Yes, they're amazing. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags, and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if you... no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what is the term American sportswear? Because you are you are like the king of American sportswear, uh, in, in my mind, mm-hmm. and I think in many other people's minds. Uh, what does it mean to you? You know, it's funny. When we hear the word sportswear, a lot of people say, you mean track, track pants? No, no, no. Do you mean a hoodie? That's part of it. That is part of it. I think inherently, listen, I make evening gowns, I make cocktail dresses, we make tailored suits. American sportswear, inherently, even if it's a gown, it has some sense of easiness to it, a sense of movement and comfort. And also, I think we are pragmatic as Americans. So I think that normally there's got to be a versatility to it, Um, you know, I think that the French are much more indulgent than we are. And I think that Americans do have this practicality. So I have always thought that American sportswear is rooted in comfort, mobility, versatility. And that can apply to everything from track pants to a gown. Like, why not be comfortable in a gown? You know, I I don't understand the idea that you should be sort of, you know, trussed up. And corseted. It's just, you know, unless you're going to a Halloween party. Maybe at a Halloween (laughs) party, push it up, push it down. Well, talk about last night. Okay, last night was the Council of Fashion Designer Awards in uh, that Casa Cipriani on the East River. Mm -hmm. And Michael was there. um, I was there. People, I mean, there were rappers there. there. Drake was there. But it was a crazy crowd, and all the Jenners and Kardashians, and um, and uh, amazing, amazing group of people. So, what table were you at? Well, we were at our own table. Oh, you had your own table. We had our okay. own table, but our table was lots. Who was of fun. at your table? Uh, Amanda Seyfried was with me, and because she's just to me so talented, stylish, beautiful, um, and then she looked beautiful. She she looked great. She wore a pair of trousers and a bodysuit. She yeah. said to me, "She said I'm actually comfortable." Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also, I love seeing the models that we work with um, off the runway and in real life. So beautiful Chinese model named He Kong 
and a gorgeous. Who is in the gold, the gold kind the of gold The gold hooded, <gasps> the gold hooded. I well, have to get that. Where, which store? Where, where do I go for that? She, that was custom. Oh no! One off. One off. One off. <laughs> she's she's actually she's she's a remarkable model. Her name is Ugbad, and she is uh, she is uh, Somali, um, but grew up in Iowa. Oh. And isn't that the American dream? Boy. You know, that to me is... Slender, very tall, very very thin, that long neck. She was so beautiful in that outfit. She just... She could know, sell thousands of those outfits amazing. for you. But you know what was so cool Please about... Please make that. Make that for the stores. We have to make that. Yes. Like, What's it made out of? It was uh, it was all hand-embroidered uh, oh. metal paillettes on silk chiffon. Beautiful. Oh, okay. But you know what's interesting? Last night, I'm sure you thought the same thing. How eclectic was the mix of people at that event? And isn't that the best of America? I'm sitting next to Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> I'm sitting with Drake. And they're all hugging and kissing each other. It was a, a really interesting Wasn't night. Wasn't it? It was. It you know, was so interesting. Cher was at my table. I mean, I mean, the legend of legends. Speaking of eclectic, right? <laughs> you go from Lenny to Great. Cher. Cher, to but you. no, not so not so odd though, because Cher and Lenny were both dressed in a lot of black leather and chrome hearts. <laughs> it works. <laughs> yes, it works. It, it works. Oh my gosh, it was such a. I, I felt like sort of a fish out of water, but it was so much fun. Uh, but it was uh, it was a, an incredible night in celebration for you know there had been a hiatus because of of COVID yeah, exactly and here's fashion back and again. it's the 60th anniversary yes. for the CFDA yeah. and really just promoting American talent yeah. around the world yeah and it's it's a wonderful wonderful event and a wonderful group of people who are yeah, really really care about fashion absolutely and uh, now what do you think about um, the high, high, high end of fashion. I mean, you do a lot of that too, but you do a lot of, uh, not. I wouldn't say moderately priced, I would say- Democratic. Were, we democratic. like to say okay. dem democratically priced. Michael does democratically priced fashion. But um, so what do you think about the high end? They seem to have uh, survived the pandemic better than anybody. Is that true? I think I think what people realize, you know, it's all relative. Uh, price, price tags are relative- to who you are and your bank account mm -hmm. and how you live. I think people in general, though, are realizing, I want the best I can afford, afford yes. that works for my life. And I think that we went through, before the pandemic, I think it was just more, 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 more. You said the disposable. The disposability. Yeah. And then suddenly I think it clicked. Listen, a lot of us spent too much time in our homes, and you started looking at these things that you thought— why don't I actually wear that? Yeah. But I always grab for that. So I think that the best quality that is within your price range and the best tailoring, the best versatility, all of that, that's what people grab for. What's the one thing every woman should have in her wardrobe? I'm going to sound boring, but it should be an impeccable seasonless black pantsuit because you can go anywhere in that you could split it apart. You could dress it up, dress it down, and it really has no time or day. Or what it, about a man? What should he have? That I, I actually think every man should have white jeans. Oh, white jeans! Oh, great! Because white, I've never seen you in white jeans. Oh, I do. Oh, I wear. White you wear jeans. them? Oh, I do wear white okay. jeans because white jeans can be everything from a black t-shirt to a navy blazer, and I love them in the winter. I love well, you had a fancy. Um, 
I guess a week long uh, fashion show in Palm Beach last year. Yeah, I was doing my CBD um, <laughs> at uh, at a hotel in Palm Beach, and there you were with your new boutique there. And I think having, I was wearing white jeans. Oh, yeah, I, you know what? I think you. Were. I think I was I wearing to, white jeans. I have to look back at my look photographs. At your photos. I think I'm in white jeans. <laughs> What's your favorite color palette to work in? Well, it is the color of my shopping bags, and I am uh, addicted to camel. Camel. Um, I like the idea that its fabrics and materials look very luscious and rich in it, but I like the classic side of it done in a non-classic way. I love sexy camel. But, you know, I bought a white Michael Kors lace top, kind of a loose, pretty top with a collar, Lined in kind of a camely pink color. Exactly. I love. We call it that. suntan. Oh, suntan. Okay. Suntan. I love that. Top. It's a fabulous. And top. then I bought it. Susan Magrino bought it, and about I don't know how many other thousands of people bought it. I went to one party, and four of us had that top. On. Oh, I love that. You're yes. like the four tops. You're the four tops. <laughs> yes. You're the four tops. Martha. We that's all perfect. had it on, and we all wore it with different bottoms. But it was it's such but, a great top. But, but will, that's when we said the versatility. Yeah. It's, four different people at the same event right. looking four different ways. How does it feel to know that former First Lady Michelle Obama wore a dress designed by you for her first-term official portrait? Well, I had no idea that she was going to wear the dress for the portrait. What color is it? It was black. It was jersey. It was sleeveless. It was sleeveless. That It was everything that we had never seen a first lady wear That's before. That's right. Nobody ever bared their arms and never in black, a white house. And never black. And jersey. And I suddenly, when I saw the photograph, I thought, wow, like we've entered modern times. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at how remarkable. And I can tell you, she would be able to wear that dress 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if you had a colorful suit on with big shoulder pads, that might not, yeah. that might not stand the test of time. Yeah, I, I was a little shocked about the bare arms. Now, it was, that was, yeah. at, at the time, it was, we had not seen But she it. wore bare arms a lot. Often. Because she had beautiful often. bare arms. She had beautiful arms. She had the right arms to bear, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, recently, the New York Times reported the rise of crop tops in mm-hmm. the office. Mm-hmm. What do you think about today's dress codes? Can I tell you, I think this is unbelievably exciting, what we're going through right now, that women feel more comfortable about their bodies and how they want to present themselves than ever before. Well, why? Do you think they feel safer? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think I think it's sort of women have taken the power back because all of a sudden people realized for years, if you were bare, were you doing it for someone else's gaze? Or just for yourself. Now all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. I'm not doing this for anyone but myself. I look good. I feel good. I look good. I looked in the mirror. I feel hot, and I'm doing it. And if other people like it, great. If they don't, lump it. But men are so terrified (laughs) that they're they're not even looking. Well, I think that, you know, the idea, I read the article. I thought the article was great. You know, I I see that uh, when we talk about what works at work, I think we've shifted you know, the idea of what's too bare. Listen, we're in Midtown New York. I remember when people would never wear sandals or shorts. Well, walk around Miami, everybody, and see what they're wearing down there. Basically, zero. As little as possible. Oh, boy. So I think, I think that 
it's 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 reconditioning our heads. Um, and if you're comfortable with a slice of skin, well, I think go yeah. for it. Absolutely. Well, your name graces so many lovely products uh, from ready-to-wear clothing uh, for women and men. You have footwear, accessories, eyewear, and fragrance. How do you uh, ensure that your vision is uh, carried out? I'm, t- I'm going to say this to you. Are you a terror? I, I mean, you've got to be a, 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 a nice control freak. That's right. That's the fact. Yeah. You know, so, and I am very um, opinionated and quick. So I make the decision and say, yay, nay, yes, go, let's try this, let's do this differently. Because you know what? My name's on it. I've got, I've got, to, I've got to believe in it. Yep, and your name is on a lot of things all over the world. It keeps me busy, that's it for sure. It certainly does. Right, both of but us. But what do you do to relax? What, where, what do you do? You'd be oh, well, I bet you do the same things I do. You like to eat? Do you like to I eat? I love great food. Yes. I love to travel. Um, and, I, and I have to say, because I'm such an urban character, I like to get back to nature. So whether it's an unbelievable beach or or we were talking about safari where you just suddenly, you're in another world, right. someone else's world, not your world. Um, so I think that that's super important. I find even in New York, you know, just seeing the water and, the, and, and green, you know, we were talking about green in New York City, how important it is. So I, I need to recharge. Uh, I literally will just shut it off and it's sort of you're plugging the car in and you're recharging. Where's it. the where's the most extraordinary place you've visited in say the last fifteen years? Um, probably the place that you know, other than Africa for safari, um, wonderful place uh, called Kangaroo Island. Um, it's uh, in the south south southern coast of Australia. Unfortunately, that a horrible fire. Mm. Um, but this was just the abundance of nature was so remarkable. But then you had this incredible lodge that was architecturally magnificent. Because to me, it's sort of, I want nature and comfort. Yeah. I want the two together. Well, that that burned down is a tragedy, and I, I hope it can that somehow they, that be they can restored. Restore the, uh, the beauty to such yeah. a remarkable place. And what about eating? What's your favorite kind of restaurants? Well, I am hands down a fan of Italian, 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 and more Italian food. I think there is, um, strangely, I think the Italians actually cook the way I design. I think they want the very best ingredients, and they try to keep things pretty simple, so you actually taste the ingredients. And uh, so when I'm in Italy, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of knocked out by how great the food is. Where in Milan do you eat? Well, we've got uh, we we do some of the classics. My grandmother's name was Beatrice, so in Italian, Beatrice is Bice. So I love the original Bice in Milan. It's just I love the room, I love the food. It's like being home for us. Um, I love Da Giacomo uh, for great fish in Milan. I just think again, great ingredients, you know, and and they never they never try too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I think people try too casual. hard. Casual. Yeah, a little casual. bit casual dining with yeah. good ingredients. Do you cook? Um, I think you and I, <laughs> I think I've cooked with you on your show. Oh, you remember. Uh, um, I have. I, I think I made meatballs with you, and I think I made my grandmother's pineapple cake with you. I am a terrible baker. Um, I'm good at things that you don't have to be precise with the recipe. Well, do you have a cook at home? Uh, yeah, we do. Oh, that's good. We do. We do. 
Um, But I eat out a lot. I have to say, we eat out a lot. Well, back to, just a little bit back to fashion. If you look back, what era had the best fashion in your mind? Um, For me, the best fashion really would be the 60s and the 70s. I think they were uh, eras that everything changed. Um, I think when I look at photographs— The Japanese? Did you like the Japanese fashion that we were wearing then? Uh, that wasn't my favorite part of it. You know, but I, 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 when I look at, like, makeup in the 60s, remarkable. Uh, the, the, the hair, the makeup, everyone looked great. That's when I was modeling in the 60s. Can you and, imagine? But, oh. but what an amazing change from the 50s, yeah. which was so buttoned up and so uptight. And suddenly, you know, we had, we had a youthquake— and then the 70s, I think people discovered their bodies. You know, you really discovered what it was like to actually be able to move in your clothes instead of being in a girdle and a long-line bra and all that. Oh, those girdles. Ooh, ridiculous. They were hideous. I remember my mom getting into a girdle. Mm. And they wore them. Regularly, and, every day. Yeah, every day. Every day. Under the house dress, even. No, every day. They wore a girdle. My grandmother was fully... Encased. She was corseted. Every day. And she was a high school principal and she went to school <laughs> dressed like that. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I am very grateful that we are, have a more relaxed um, uh, uh, approach to, to fashion and a more relaxed uh, approach to undergarments. I gave the award last night to Kim Kardashian and her skims, which I must say are rather confining once you put them on. But it's not your mom's girdle. No, it's not no, your mom's girdle. That's, you know, they're easier to they're easier to get on, but they are confining, you know. I actually had a woman once years ago wearing a white dress of ours that was very fitted. And I said, you look great in your dress. And she said, I can't breathe. <laughs> so I said, why not? And she said, well, you don't know what's going on underneath, underneath this it. dress. Oh. I said, okay, it's your secret. But do you like women's bodies nowadays? Do you like the thinness of uh, of so many women? You know, I have to say, if, if you look at a Michael Kors fashion show, we really run the gamut, I mean, of uh, different types of bodies, different ages. We have models in their 50s, models who are teenagers, petite, tall, uh, size sixteen. Yeah, you're more you're you're more uh, approachable. I don't I I don't understand. I used to have this on Project Runway. Some of the designers they would be like, I don't design for people who are that size. I think it's a difficult thing to think that you're only designing for one body type. Yeah. Well, this touches on your love of food, but you really care about people who are hungry and who have not the ability to uh, get their own food and sustenance. So you started um, Watch Hunger Stop? Yes. When did you start that? Well, Watch Hunger Stop, uh, I think about nine years ago. Um, and it has been remarkable for us because what, what I saw here in New York City, back in the late 80s, I got involved with an organization called God's Love We Deliver. Um, and That's God's, been such an amazing it's, organization. It's, it's, and it, through the pandemic, through the AIDS crisis, they are there here in New York, uh, and and it's really, you know, sometimes you feel overwhelmed that you can't make a difference. And here's something, you and I, yes. certainly, we both love great food, but you see what it can do for someone, um, that someone's thinking about them and caring about them. So the United Nations, we realized that they were just the perfect partner um, for Watch Hunger Stop with the school meals program. Yeah. Um, that... We also, and that's not just America. No, this is outside of yes. the States. This is around the world. 
And we now, we see that not only, of course, you're bringing nutrition to these kids, but in a lot of these countries, the parents don't want to send often a girl to school. Mm -hmm. They want her to stay at home and work. But when there's a meal waiting for her, they send her to school. And, you know, everyone can, this is something that we can all help. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy, Martha, when we think here in the States or in the West, a cup of coffee in the morning is, is often $5. Well, $5, if you make $5 donation to the World Food Program for Watch Hunger Stops, that's an entire month of, food. of, of meals at school for, for a child. Yeah. So we see the difference, you yeah. know, and it's kind of, we're talking about what's delicious. Well, it, it, it nourishes not only the body, but it nourishes the soul. No, we we are spoiled here in America, but there's a lot of hunger. Oh, in we America have it next too. door. We yes. have it. We have it here in New York. We have it we everywhere. Do. We have homeless. We have hunger, and uh, and that you are paying attention to these uh, really dire problems is very admirable. And we're all in. We're all in yeah. it together. We're we all are. connected. Well, you and I are the tireless workers, Michael Kors, <laughs> and I think that we will always be the tireless worker. Absolutely. And uh, and it's uh, so nice to see you doing so well while you do so much good. And dress us so beautifully. Well, Martha. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come here and uh, speak with us today. Always great to talk to you. It's so great. Thank you. A pleasure. Martha Stewart here. As a devoted pet parent and culinary expert, I ensure my cats and dogs are fed the finest nutrition. My premium pet food features air-dried protein inclusion, whole fruits and vegetables, and never any fillers. Martha Stewart pet food formulas make it so easy to satisfy the dietary needs and taste preferences of your pets. Now all six delicious formulas are 50% off. And there's convenient home delivery on Chewy.com. No more lugging heavy bags and your pets will thrive on the optimal nutrition and great taste. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. 
Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.